This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. I'm Francis Carlton, and I am the Secret Keeper. As usual, this is your trigger warning for tears, laughter, learning, profanity. So make yourself a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and listen as I talk with Christina. Welcome, Christina. Thank you. It's lovely Thank to be you. here. So, Christina, you're, you are a registered psychologist in practice in Engadine, New South Wales, and you are a psychology coach. So before we go into what a psychology coach is, can you describe yourself for me in three words? Um, I think at the moment the three words would be courageous, resilient, and gracious. Lovely. Lovely. Tell me a little bit more about resilient. <laughs> uh, resilience is something that I focus on very heavily in my practice. So I run my own coaching practice as a psychologist coach. Mm. And my main focus is helping folks in nonprofit, social enterprise and faith sector really master the stress and responsibility of their roles so they can get on with the business of transforming lives and usually including their own as well. Mm. Um, so that, yeah, so that they can then get on and do, do the stuff that matters when it matters for the people who matter. So what sort of, what, when you say the faith sector and the non-for-profit, what do you mean, what, what sort of roles are we talking about there? Um, my clients are usually at mid-level management, CEO level and everywhere in between, um, for advocacy organisations, for sustainability organisations, for uh, renewables organisations. Um, so think think around, you know, that's that's area of life where we're kind of really focused on the human experience and looking after each other in community. So, for instance, um, the CEO of uh, Disability Australia may come to you mm-hmm. to, to, to when he's ab- or she's advocating for. Disability rights. Yes. Right. Okay. So whenever okay, they whenever they are engaged in something that really matters, it's something something that really matters to them, something that matters to, to the community. Um, and I mean, honestly, the life of a, a socialpreneur, as they are often called, can be really really hard because they're not just dealing with running a business, but dealing with running a charity at the same time, with a whole lot of expectations and pressures on them. Uh, and if they're not careful, they can crack under the pressure. And then what happens to their service and their ministry and their people that follow them mm. and the people that rely on them? So mm. I'm very keen to get in there and support them as they do their job so that then they can keep on caring for the people who matter. Yeah. So that resilience training. So what does what does coaching around resilience look like? Um, it looks, it takes whatever form the person involved needs it to take really. <laughs> um, it can look like dealing with the stress and the pressure and the unrealistic expectations that someone might, might put on themselves to be perfect and do everything for everyone because that's what they're paid to do. Um, it can look like helping them reconnect with their family, reconnect with their friends because these are connections that kind of get pushed aside in the business of life and, and service. Mm. Um, so these people are in service to others yes. essentially. Yes. So, 
their their life becomes um, consumed by providing this service yeah. for other people and yeah. family and friends may not necessarily get as much of a look in as they exactly so that personal connection can sometimes be lost yes um, connecting with their again and again their kind of emotional well being it's like how are they prioritizing their own self-care in the midst of while they're busy pouring themselves out for others? Mm. How do they fill their own cup so that they can keep pouring out for others? Mm. That's really what it looks like. Mm. Are, are, are people that work in this uh, social sector, are they generally pretty horrible at self-care? I wouldn't say they're horrible at it. I say they forget about it sometimes. So the level they get of distracted. They get yeah. distracted by by their mission, by their people, and so it's like they want to be there and be there and be there and be there. Mm. Um, and so they are there and they are there and they are there without realising that all that energy that they're spending, they are not recouping. Mm. And so at a certain point, some of them time, some of them just kind of wake up in the morning and go, I almost can't get out of bed. Mm. What just happened? Mm. Mm. Oh, I, 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 I understand that. Yeah. Um, having, having done, having done about eight months worth of work in ten days to get a not-for-profit off the ground. Yes. Very, 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 <laughs> you very know quickly. That very well. Um, <laughs> so just, uh, just for the listeners, uh, the, the, this podcast is being recorded at the in the middle of January, which is actually on the first day of decent rain that Australia has had yes. and has. The rain has managed to put out about 30 of the 120 fires that have been burning for the last mm. three months across Australia. And I've been working on wild talk like a mad thing as well as uh, running my private practice as well So and doing the podcast. <laughs> so, um, But I have been self-caring like a son of a gun, I'll you be have. honest. I, I'll be honest, I absolutely have. And I've been really, really aware of it. And at the mm. end of the day I have just been sort of sitting and, you know, listening to music and giving myself time out. And mm. but the one thing I haven't done, which I really, really enjoy doing, and I haven't done this since the end of December, is I haven't been to the movies, mm. which is a really big one for me to mm -hmm. go and have some lunch and just sit and watch a movie. And I haven't had a chance to do that since since Boxing Day, which is when this all everything sort of started ramping yeah. up. Yeah. So I am going tomorrow night to see Rocket Man again. Um, <laughs> with a friend of mine at the open air cinema in Sydney. But I haven't been, I haven't done my usual Saturday, Sunday lunchtime thing where I just go and just go to the movies and just check out and turn everything off and go to the movies. And I, I honestly, I actually, I know that I'm feeling it. Yep, exactly. And it's just one of the many self-care things that I do. But mm. it's, it, it, I'm, I'm very aware of, I'm very aware of self-care mm. because I do advocate it so strongly and because for the last five years I've been telling people in the wildlife sector to self-care it's really important. You can't look after others if you don't look after yourself. Mm. So, yeah, I'm aware of that self-care. But I'm also aware that a lot of people who, when they have this mission, see self-care as almost being selfish. Exactly. So how do you how do you address that with your clients when they when they when they tell you that, you know, that self-care is like I can't do self-care because it's selfish? Um, I tend to work them through a particular tool. When we get to, usually when we get to the conversation around self-care, we've gotten to a point where it's just like, like I might be working with this person for the first time ever in a group setting. Um, and so I, my favourite tool to use in this setting is called the pro-social matrix or the ACT matrix. Pro-social matrix. Pro-social pro matrix. 
And so that's the, that's the organisational version. Mm. Um, and it comes from the work of Kevin Polk and others um, from acceptance and commitment therapy or acceptance and commitment training as mm. I use in my own practice. And it's about this idea of reflecting on your own experience, noticing your own experience. Mm. And so I walk them through these, basically it's these four steps and getting them to just reflect on who is important to them. Right. What is the yucky stuff that comes up in the way, gets in the way? What do we do to move away from that yucky stuff? And what can we do to move towards the people and the things that matter to us? Mm. And at the very centre of this all, you know, I encourage, I'm, I'll walk you through it in more detail in a moment, but yeah. um, at, when you kind of are able to stand in the centre of your experience and notice these are the people and the things that matter. This is the internal stuff that comes up. This is how I react to that internal stuff. That's what I could be doing to connect with those people. You know, is the stuff that I'm actually doing working for me? Mm. Is it working to help me do the stuff that matters when it matters? And, oh, yeah, when we get around to that, you know, we do a few loops around this around this little circuit and often I get to that, who you knows who is important to you question and it's just like we've you will ha- we'll have a list we'll have family we'll have friends we'll have colleagues we'll have pets um we'll have god we'll have you know the universe we'll have the community we'll have the climate we'll have the environment maybe is someone maybe missing <laughs> off that list folks yeah exactly <gasps> the central character that's there all the time forever in our lives exactly and a <laughs> light bulb goes off yeah. yeah. Me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so when you are important mm. and you but you try and do something about that, mm. what comes up? Oh, mm. the guilt, the shame, the shoulds, the musts. I have to, I ought to, I have to do everything. I should, I should, I should. I should. <laughs> oh my goodness. So a little a little mind hack I like doing for people is just going, well, let's just look at that word should for a minute. It's, you know. It sounds, it's such a quiet, unobtrusive little word, isn't it? It sounds like it belongs off in the, you know, the back of a forest somewhere, Mm. should. But over time, over decades of experience, it starts carrying this real weight Mm. of guilt and obligation and duty and perfection. I should be calmer with the kids. Mm. I should get that report done. I should be better than this. So then I invite people to go, okay, so what happens if we then just change should for could? You know, I could get that report done. Mm. I could be calmer with the kids. I could be better at this. Mm. You notice that little gap? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's what I help people create. Mm. I help people create that space to reflect. And in that moment they have then started mastering the stress and mastering the distress Mm. rather than having it master them. It's really interesting. I, 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 with some clients I use could, but mm-hmm. with other clients I use I want. Yes. So I Preference. want to be. Yes. I want to be calmer with the kids. I want to finish that report. And depending on who the client is depends on how driven they are to make that change. Mm. But it is a, it's a very simple change of language that takes that yes. expectation of others off of us mm-hmm. and puts it back onto ourselves. Yes, and, exactly. And gives us that autonomy to make that change mm. ourselves. So yeah, it's an yeah. amazing 
it's an amazing it's an amazing tool to do mm. and to be able to use that to build that resilience in having that understanding of mm. this is why I'm doing it is phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's amazing work. Mm. So do you find that your clients really respond to that? Yes. Mm. Yes, they do. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, they are simple strategies but they are effective because they get people out of their heads and back in touch with what is actually happening, what is actually working for mm. them in their life day to day, rather than getting stuck in their heads and going, you know, I think about this, therefore it should be this way. I'm thinking about this, therefore it should be that way. Without ever realizing that just because it's in our heads doesn't mean that's what is actually in the world. Mm. That weight of expectation is huge. Yes. Whether it's our own expectations of ourselves mm. or of or the expectations of yeah. others. Yeah. You know, when you, I think when you take that expectation away from people and take it mm. off their shoulders, suddenly things become so much clearer mm. and manageable. Yes. Wow. Mm. Wow. So resilience is a is is a is a really important one for you and yes. for your clients. Yep. I'm really interested about this word gracious. Mm -hmm. um, how 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 are you gracious? <laughs> <laughs> It is almost a family word, to be honest. Um, I started owning it a f quite a few years ago because my mother would look at me and reflect on her mother, who is, you know, passed away when I was, was I 20? Mm. Um, I'm now 40, by the way, because, of course, you can't see me. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, one of the most loving things that my mother says about her mother is that she was this really gracious lady and then she looked at me and went, you're just like her. And it's that element of going, you know, I, you know, I have opinions, I, ha I have, um, you know, I have strength, I have gifts that you may or may not necessarily value in the same way I do, but I still put them at your service. Mm. Um, I am willing to go there and just go, yep, this is for you. If you don't want it, then that's fine. Mm. It's, you know, it's not about me and it's not necessarily about you. It's about what works for you in that moment. And if you just, you want that, then here it is. If you don't, then that's fine. Let's move on. Do you remember your grandmother? Yes. Yeah. So can you, uh, can you tell us about a time when you remember her demonstrating that graciousness? <laughs> Imagine a... Little lady. She was little. She's like, I'm fairly tall. She was not. <laughs> she was like a four foot five, four foot six sort of. Oh, I don't even remember anymore. Maybe five foot. Okay. So she was a little, little, little lady. <laughs> little lady, little petite lady. Yeah. Um, her hair was always beautifully permed and curled. Um, and I can remember or I can remember her wandering around the house with the curlers and her hair and the scarf around the head and all the bobby pins, keeping everything neatly in place. <laughs> so um, gracious, not necessarily classy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, <laughs> My grandmother was the same, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'd be, you know, she'd be dressed to go to church and we'd go to church together as a family and we'd come home when we were visiting her. And, you know, she'd have lunch ready on the table and after lunch, you know, I'm seven maybe. Mm. And she would come down underneath the, the table in the sunroom out the back and would be covered with a sheet and we would play, you know, Mrs. Green and Mrs. Brown. Hello, Mrs. Brown. How are you? <laughs> so yeah. she she would be 
coming under the table, her joints would be aching. Um, and she'd probably have other things that she could be doing, but because I was there and because she loved me, she came down and she played games with me and made me know in no uncertain terms that I mattered and I had value mm. by her coming down to my level and yeah. offering her time. And at that moment you were the most important thing in her world. Exactly. Wow, how wonderful. Yeah. So when I say gracious, that's what carries through for me. Yeah. That people matter. Mm. It doesn't matter where you are in the scheme of life. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. The fact is you are human mm. and therefore you matter. Mm. And she was doing the best that she could with mm. you at all times. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, mm. wonderful. Um, I'd love to come back to some more stories about Grandma <laughs> if we can later on. <laughs> um, so you also mentioned that, um, so going back to right at the beginning at the introduction, we talked about you being a registered psych. Yes. What's the difference between a registered psych psychologist and a clinical psychologist, just just to clear mm -hmm. up the little that many confusion that may okay, be sure. out there. Okay, so I actually did used to be a clinical psychologist, which at the time meant that you had gone through a master's of clinical psychology or a doctorate of clinical psychology, and that that therefore, and you also then did the appropriate professional development to maintain that endorsement. Mm. Um, then some time ago, they shifted the rules of endorsement around. And at that point, I was just about to go on maternity leave with my first child and I was starting to think about coaching mm. or coaching was starting to come onto the, come onto the radar for me. Yeah. And I went, I don't feel the need to attain, keep working towards this high level to keep a word. I have my master's degree. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the training, the standard of training that I have and I continue to maintain. Um, but I don't need to have that special endorsement anymore because I'm, yeah, I'm moving out of, moving towards coaching. I'm moving out of that diagnostic mode, which is what clinicals are trained to do. They're trained to diagnose and treat mental disorders. Um, and yeah, in coaching, I take a much more functional approach. Just like you have, you're having this experience. What does that mean for you? How is that working for you? How is it not working for you? Let's unpack that mm. um, and come up with more useful, workable ways of you doing what matters, when it matters for the people who matter. So being a registered psych versus a clinical psych, does mm. that give you more scope with the types of methodologies that you use, with the with the way you approach clients, rather than sticking to that sort of CBT, DBT, sort of cognitive behaviour therapy, dialectal behavioural therapy models mm. that clini clinical psychs tend to be restricted to, especially if they're working under Medicare and that yes. mental health care yeah. plan model? If the clinicals are working under uh, Medicare, you are restricted to only offer those um, therapies that Medicare lists as being approved. Mm. Um, at the time, you know, I, I stopped being, you know, when I stepped into coaching work and out of clinical work, oh, that would be in 2011, mm. um, at the time my preferred way of working, which is ACT, wasn't on the list. So that's acceptance, commitment, behaviour, uh, therapy. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, you could argue that, you know, it is a CBT-informed therapy and therefore it kind of still can fit under. Mm. Um, but it's not on the list, is it? I don't know what's on the list yeah. now because I stepped away from it yeah. years yeah. ago and I haven't looked back. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not on the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, form, it falls under the umbrella of kind of the third wave, if you like, of behavioural therapy. So the first wave was um, just pure behavioural therapy back in the 
back in the 60, 50s and 60s, I think. Mm. And then Aaron Beck came along with cognitive behaviour therapy in the 70s. And then that then triggered a whole wave of, again, thinking about, you know, what is what is this thing called thought mm. and how do we deal with that in useful ways and how do we do deal with that in ways that actually work with people where they're at and help mm. them get to where they want to go. Um, so, yeah, but yes, um, so when I stepped out of clinical work, um, I really embraced the opportunity to just go move to the point of going, okay, so people are having an experience, that experience may or may not be helping them move forward to where they want to be. How can I help mm. them make those steps? How do I make that actual real change happen for them? How do I support them? How do I help encourage them? Mm. How do I provide an element of kind of helpful, encouraging accountability? So they go, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, I'm going to do this. Okay, what will you do? Mm. When will you do it by? Who do you need to do it with? And when are you going to let me know about it? Mm. So giving them accountability mm. for their decisions yeah, and just saying you can't just be accountable to me but you need to let people know what's going on around yes. you. Yes, yeah. 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 It's I, quite amazing how when uh, when suddenly you have to be responsible to other people going, so what's happening with that thing? Mm-hmm. You kind of just have to kind of get on and do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's almost the positive peer pressure I think. <laughs> It's funny. I was. Um, um, I've got a. Um, I've, I've. I've got a client. A, li- a, li- a little old lady client who is is absolutely wonderful. And um, I, I, I recently just decided that I, I hadn't moved my quilting. So I, I, a client hadn't turned up. So I had decided that I was going to use the hour to to do some to do some quilting. Mm-hmm. And when she came in, it was all fo- it was all folded up, but I hadn't moved it from the spare chair into the in, into the cupboard. And she was like, oh, "Quilt, quilt, 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 quilt." Mm-hmm. So she asked me about the quilt, and I said, "Well, um, you know, this is a wedding quilt." And she went, "Oh, who's getting married?" And I said, "Well, actually, they got married eight years ago." And she was like, "How come it's taking you so long?" And I said, "Because I hadn't actually told anybody that I was doing it." And then yes. a year ago, I decided I've got to get this done. So I joined a quilting group, and now whenever I go along to the quilting group, they go, "Aren't you done yet?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and I and, and every time I go to the quilting group, I I make a huge thing. But having that accountability mm-hmm. to doing that work yep. is the same in our therapeutic work. If mm. nobody knows that we're trying to journal every day, there's nobody saying, "Have you taken some time to do your journal today?" Or you know, "Have you?" You know, especially around self-care, you know, yeah. darling, you know, have you sat down and had a cup of tea and just watched the world go by for 10 minutes mm. today? Yeah. You know, having having a partner that can do something like that for you can be really, really powerful. Mm. It's very small but very mm. powerful. Yes, it is. And not just having a partner who will ask you about it but actually cares whether or mm. not you get it done. Because you can sign up to any accountability group. I mean, on Facebook there are gazillions of them, really. But There are? <laughs> well, groups that are around the thing that you want to do. Oh, yes, yes, And you can jump in there and go, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then someone might follow up and go, oh, so how's that thing going? Oh, yeah, fine, whatever. Mm, it's more it's likely like, to be fine whatever, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. actually having someone who you know is in your corner. Mm. Is, who is not only going to be checking in about seeing whether or not you've done the thing you said you were going to do, but actually cares about the outcome, mm. who cares about you and communicates that kind of belief in you that this, that you matter, that this thing matters, mm. it makes an enormous difference. Which comes back to that connection again. Yes, it does. 
and maintaining that connection. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And being gracious if they haven't done it yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then it's quite kind of like, oh, have you noticed that you haven't done that? Done that? Okay, great. Well, we've achieved something. Yeah. You've noticed your experience. <laughs> yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it just went either way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and this is this is an interesting thing I always have because I always ask my clients if they want to do homework, so I give them the choice. Mm-hmm. And quite often they'll they'll come in and they go, "I haven't done my homework," and I mm-hmm. go, "It's okay." And they go, "But I didn't do it." It's like, "Yes, but it was self set." Yeah. Oh, if you didn't do it, you didn't do it. Hmm. Did you think about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I it was going round and round and round and round in my head for ages. So you kind of did your homework then. Yes. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, but I didn't write it down. Well, that doesn't matter. You thought about it. Mm. So it's really interesting that this, this, we, we, we have these, we have these, these, these things, but then we come back to that should again mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. well. I said I'd do my homework, but therefore I should do my homework, mm-hmm. and it should be in this form. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a. I've. I um. Somebody asked me once. Um. Do you love what you do? And I know what my answer is. What's your answer? Yes. What do you love about it? I love seeing. I love seeing lives transform. Mm. I love seeing things happen that either wouldn't have happened or have happened faster because I sat there and I listened and I asked the questions, and I believed in them. Mm. And the people that I work with are in yeah, they're in advocacy, they're in service organizations. So when I'm helping them through that, I'm then helping however many people they help. Mm. And that is just such a privilege. Mm. Yeah, so really having that sort of having that wider spread yes. of help. Yep. It's not just one person. Yeah. It's multiple lives that you're impacting. Exactly. And I will never see the full outcome of it, any of that. Yeah. But I know that it's there. Yeah. And so I, you know, I get back up and I keep going every day because these people matter to me mm. and their people matter to me. And because you work in coaching, you, um, you don't have rooms that you operate from. You're a bit more mobile. Yes, I am. How does, how does that work? Because most people would be used to seeing a coach or a therapist or a psychologist or whatever mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. and they'd be sitting in an office and it may or may not be decorated nicely. Yep. Um, how do you work? Um, so I will wander down the street to the local cafe. Um, I had a session in the pub last week. Right. Um, I jump in the train and go into the city and meet someone in a cafe um, in, you know, Martin Place, mm. Wynyard. Mm. Um, go down to Wollongong and I'm sitting, you know, at, at Digger's Cafe overlooking the beach with the lighthouse off to the right. That sounds terrible. It's, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit tricky when the cafes are busy and noisy. Yes. Um, which is a downside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it be, because I'm doing coaching rather than therapy, we're taking people from a place of in therapy, I think there's this mm, let's call it. You can call it idea. whatever you want. <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> we, we, well, there's a there's this expectation, I think. Um actually no, not just I think. Um you take people from a place of brokenness through to a place of wholeness. Um, and that's the point of, of therapy and that's, that's the, the, the professional's responsibility and duty of care to carry that healing agenda and to mm. direct the clients in whatever ways need to happen in order for that healing to occur. Mm. Um, in coaching, it's taking people from more or less that place of wholeness and helping them move forward. 
to make changes that they they knew they wanted to make but had no idea how to do. Mm. And she's like, well, actually, 95% of the time you have what it takes to get this done, mm. but you just don't know that. You just need to point it in the right direction. Yeah. So I'm, okay. as a coach, I'm asking the questions that draw out of them the, go- the gold that they already have within them mm. and helping them, you know, take their dreams, put wheels on them and get them driving down the road. Mm. They've already got the wheels there. Yeah. They just don't necessarily know how to put them on. Exactly. So it's sort of getting the jack out and showing you stick it under here and yep. wind it up yep. a bit and yep. this is how you do it. Yeah. Nice. So and then when I you bring in my workers in, you know, stress and resilience and burnout, usually then there's a little bit of tweaking that I have to do. Like I have to, you know, it's like I po- I'm popping, it's like I'm a master mechanic. Mm. I'm popping the bonnet on the, on their energy, on their mind and their body and their spirit and going, okay, so these are all how all the different bits of this fit together. Mm. Um, this is the kind of fuel it requires. This is the kind of where it's more likely to wear out and break down. Mm. Okay, so it's like I present that information to them and it's like, okay, so how do you want to use that? Mm. Do you ever get that moment where they sort of sit there and they look at you and they go, but I already know this. Why is it only sinking in now that you're telling me? <laughs> I think I probably do. I think it's, again, it's coming from out, when it comes from someone outside of yourself, someone who's, again, affirming what mm. you've already thought but you haven't had the courage to believe. Mm. It's just like this is the way it is for you. Mm. This, is, this is your experience. Mm. I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to your experience over my own because you're the one who has to live in your own body and drive your own car. Mm. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to trust your judgment here. Mm. I'm going to trust your intuition over mine. Mm. So let's explore that. What would it mean if this was actually the case mm. for you? Mm. And then it's not. It's not even then so much me telling them, but them telling themselves and hearing themselves say it, and then it sinks in. Mm. Do you get your clients to write things down? Sometimes. Do you find that writing things down just is that next level of solidifying for them? Mm, not necessarily. Mm, okay. Because it depends, I think it depends on what level of how they then use that writing experience. Um, for some people, writing it down is what they need to do to help it learn and sink in. For other people, it turns into a bit more of a should. I should do this because I'm, this is how. Mm. People should do things. So therefore, mm. they then they get caught up in writing down the right things rather than down, than doing the stuff that works. So it's very, it, you know, I good old should. I yes, <laughs> I like it when they write stuff down. But I, if they don't, then that's you know, I can work with that. So I come from a narrative school where we do a lot of writing down mm-hmm. and we do a lot of letter writing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I always give clients, obviously, I always give them the options to do those things, but experience has told me that and you are coming at it from a very different um, angle because you're looking at the coaching rather than mm. the, the therapeutic side but I find that the writing down can it has it has two effects it can be really 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 good mm. or it can be actually quite damaging in some in some cases yes. especially yep. if it's too long before they see you again and they get to sit on that yes. um, and they don't quite know what to do with what they've what they've written down mm. and processed. Yep. So yeah, that that that's why that's why I asked the, mm. the question about the writing things down because it can be an incredibly powerful tool, mm. but not always. Yeah, 
But yeah. a lot of people come to me and they say, oh, you know, I've been to see a therapist before and they told me I had to journal. And they have, the, and they have that sort of like the, the sunken shoulders and the, you know, yes. and it's a very much a sort of the like. The It's the tour and it's the should. Mm. You should mm. journal. If you want to get better, you should journal. So I've tried journaling. It's all right. You, you can scream why down the microphone. That's fine. Don't Good. Just, why? Don't, <laughs> but I mean, I like, I like. I, I use it with clients that, that are willing to do it mm. and it is a powerful tool, but you need to want to do it. Yeah. Again, that do I want to or should I? Mm. It's it's yeah. a it's a really it's a fascin it's a fascinating yeah. thing. And then once they've done it, do they find it actually works for them? Yes. And if it works for them, then great, by all means keep on doing it. If it doesn't, that's okay. We've tried it, we've discovered mm. that this isn't your thing. Great, we'll put it aside. What else could we try? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's um, there's so many tools out there yes. that we can use, and mm. we and and it's it's wonderful that you've been able to sort of go. I don't need this word, you know. Sort of come back to that sh- that language again. Mm. You know, this the, it's it's a word. Mm, it, exactly. It, it, it actually restricts what I can. Mm-hmm. It restricts what I can do and what I can present people with. And you know, now you've sort of gone. Well, this is this is the other thing that I'm doing, and now I can do a little bit more, and I can be a bit more free in my approach. Do you find that language um, is really, really important when we're talking about coaching and therapy? In terms of helping people understand the difference between them, yes. Um, Because, yes, I'm very, very clear I do not do therapy. Mm. In fact, there are times where I actually actually tell people that what I do is a health service, not a healing service. Mm. Though, of course, that's not entirely true because you know when I'm helping people deal with stress and I'm helping people deal with anxiety and the the again the shoulds the weight of the shoulds that they keep carrying around when behavior change happens healing happens Mm. um so yeah there's that line of going we use words to kind of represent the world to ourselves to help us understand the world Mm. But our language is not the world. Mm. The words we use, just because it's happening in our heads, doesn't mean that that's what is actually happening out in the real world. Mm. Oh, not the real world, the external world. Yes, mm, the me. real world versus. Yeah. See, there's a language yes, thing. There's a language, language thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> real world versus outside world. Because <laughs> it's interesting. Because I, you know, I, 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 my, my, my first education and my first role was as a was as a change in communications consultant. Ooh. So language is very sort of, it, it's actually quite important to yes. me in the way we use words. Yeah. And quite often I'll, I'll, and we'll use the shoulds and the coulds and the wants again. And as an example, but also using words like, you know, getting down to business when we're talking about personal issues. Yes. And, you know, those, the, 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 way, the way we mix up language, and mm. I know that language is ever-evolving. It doesn't mm. mean I have to like it. Um, <laughs> I fear change. Um, no, <laughs> but language is ever-evolving. And do you, because you are dealing with people that are at a level of business, mm-hmm. whether they're in the not-for-profit sectors or charities and things, mm-hmm. but they are, in, they are in business. They are trying to bring money in and they are trying to spend that money in the most efficient way as yes. possible to help yes. as many people as possible. Yep. Do you find that when you're coaching that they tend to use that language to create a distance between their personal experience and 
between what's actually happening with them, I'm probably not saying that very well, between what's actually happening with them to what they think is happening, to sort of like put that distance yeah. and help them step away from yeah. what's actually happening to them. I don't think I've actually had a client that I've noticed that being a particular issue, to be honest. Okay. Um Why would that be? Is that because I'm just not paying enough attention or is it the fact that um, I think I tend to attract the people who have a fairly integrated view of work-life service ministry, Um, that they are them in each of those spheres and they kind of overlap and they move from one to the other. Um, It's just by the time they get to me, they've often just spent, they've often just been consumed by an event, a stressor, um, an issue in one of those fears. Mm. Um, and so then it's just like, yes, yeah, so okay, tell me what's going on there. Do you think it's mm. possibly a difference between coaching and therapy as well? It could be a difference in coaching and therapy. It could also be a difference in the clients who seek it. And the depth and the of work, depth that needs, of work that needs to be done. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. See, I learn things every time I do one of these as well. <laughs> I, I, I confess I hadn't really um, given much thought about how different coaching was to therapy. Mm. So coaching sort of strikes me almost as being more like a clinical supervision level of it being dealing on that. Mm. So because I'm, I'm a clinical supervisor okay. as well. So you don't have that, you don't go into the, so tell me about your childhood kind of thing. It's Mm. more of what's happening now and how can we help you with what's going on right now with this thing. How do we set up more effective ways of dealing with it now rather than unpacking understanding the past? Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, So that separation and that depth and that protection of using that language isn't mm. necessary because they're not going to be going to places where they're extremely vulnerable. Yes. And that is why meeting in cafes and so forth works. Perfect, yes. Because I'm not, you know, because coaching doesn't require going down to that depth. I mean, sometimes it does and, it, you know, obviously someone who's sitting there being able to reveal that stuff to me in a public place is happy to go there. Mm. So we can discuss it at that level. Mm. Um, but then the conversation then always comes back to, okay, so how is that affecting what you're doing now and is that working for you? Mm. How can we incorporate what you want to do and give honour to this experience from the past so that you can keep going with what matters to you here and now and into the future? Mm. How do we help you be sustainable in your service and your caring for others and your nurturing others while carrying this history with you Mm. without letting that history dominate you? Mm. Without getting her through half a box of tissues in the local cafe. <laughs> I do occasionally think, okay, I do need to remember to bring a box, uh, like a little packet of tissues with me just in case, but most of the time I don't need them. Mm. Do you recommend to your clients that they go and seek their seek a therapeutic path as well on occasion? Or on have occasion. you ever done that? Yeah. Yep, on occasion. Yeah. Um, I had a client last year actually who started out with me and then reverted to um, seeing a therapeutic psychologist in their own rooms. And I think in part it was a privacy thing, Mm. Um, being able to be vulnerable in a private place. For some people, really, really matters. Mm. Um, And in that case, you know, working with me isn't appropriate for them. Mm. And that's fine. Mm. I'm all for, you know, if you try working with me and it doesn't work, 
no skin off my nose. I want what's best for you. What is going to be best for you? You tell me that. So that importance of that relationship being being paramount to the to the process and the mm. work is, yes. is is just as important in coaching as it is in the therapy. It room. is just as crucial. It is just as crucial. So even if you get a, a, a coaching client who you know you just kind of go, this is just not working. It's not going to work for them. They're not going to get the benefit from it. They won't get the full benefit from it. No, yeah. but in which case, you know, it's. You know, I, the thing that I like about being a psychologist doing this work is I still do the tracking. Mm. You know, for example, you know, when I did clinical work, I would administer the DAS, the Depression, Anxiety, Stress yes. Scale. Um, 21 or 42? Ah, uh, I varied. So I, I, <laughs> I just recently discovered the DAS 42 and I'm yes. like, oh, that's a, that's yeah. good. That's Yeah, I do prefer that's the DAS. better. Yeah, it gives you much more. Again, it gives you more information yeah. about where they're at right now. Yeah. Um, so I... I Administer that. I administer what's called an MSQ, a multi, mm, <laughs> multiple systems questionnaire. Multiple systems um, questionnaire. And it's, yeah. it's actually, you know, I have a chronic illness myself. I have I have a thing called adrenal fatigue, um, which somewhat ironically is a stress-triggered illness. So, you know, the stress and the resilience coach has a stress-triggered illness. So depending on who's looking at me, I serve it as almost either. almost a peer workout at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm either an inspiration or a cautionary tale, depending on who's looking. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I administer, you know, the, the DAS and I administer the MSQ and I'm, I'm working with people from a Christian ministry. I also administer a few spiritual coping um, attachment to God questionnaires because we know from the research that for that particular um, group, these things are also crucial in terms of their resilience and um, burnout prevention. Mm. So I, I get a glimpse of where they're at right now physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. Mm. Um and then, you know, we go through, say, five, six sessions and we I re-administer at least the DAS, usually the mm. MSQ as well, um, and just saying, okay, have we made a significant change here? Mm. You Are you feeling connected with me? How are we doing? Mm. Um, is this something that's working for you? Please feel free to tell me if it's not. Mm. At every step along the way, I'm always saying, you know, I do tend to speak quite quickly. <laughs> you may have noticed. Oh, no. <laughs> I've spoken to much quicker. Yes. <laughs> um, and so at the beginning, it's part of my housekeeping. It's just like if I ever say something wrong, pull me up. If I ever don't, if I ever say something you don't understand, ask me. Mm. Um, if you, if I say something you don't agree with, pull me up. Mm. Let me know. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we. I'm usually keeping keeping an eye on that relationship all the way through and going, yeah, is this a connection we're making here? And is this going to be working for you? And I find that when when that connection isn't working, that's when they stop anyway. Mm. And it's mm. like, well, that's fine. So that natural attrition is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. just going to happen. Yeah. Do you think your um, your your own health um, condition leads into that courageousness that you that you were talking about yes, earlier on? It has. Um, I'm so grateful that I did my master's training when I did. Um, so yeah, I finished, did my master's in like 2004, 2005. Um, unbeknownst to me, I actually started getting sick in about 2007. Um, it wasn't, I didn't crash fully until 2014. Uh, like fatigue, like, you know, I couldn't walk up the stairs without my heart pounding, get my kids ready for school and preschool, get them there. I'd have to crash on the couch for the rest of the day in this very room. Mm. Um, and I couldn't do anything else until it was time to go go and get them. 
Mm. Um, walking up the street, up the stairs to go see my dentist, my heart will be pounding for the next half hour, that kind of stuff. Um, but in my internship, I did a stint at the chronic pain unit over at St George Hospital. And that's when I came across acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm. And the difference that the, having that attitude of noticing your experience, accepting your experience, not accepting as in approving of it, but accepting it going, this is how my life is right now. What, again, how can I do the stuff that matters when it matters mm. for the people who matter, even though this stuff is here? Mm. So then I've been able to look at my life, get being ill and going, I can, okay, I can't do what I used to do. And that's okay. Because then it helps me focus in on what really matters. So it really matters that I do a load of laundry. It really mm. matters that I do dinner. <laughs> it really matters that I, you know, go out and see my client this week. It really matters that I focus on this paper that I want to write. It really focuses, helps me focus on, you know, this, these are the things that matter. So it's one thing at a time. It's, it's one thing at a it's time. It's that, you know, sort of giving, giving, um, giving priority to... Yes. To particular things. Yeah, just being really clear about what my, what my priorities are yeah. and not being a, not being scared to go, look, this other stuff is important and, yes, it matters, but I can't do it mm. and that's okay. That's why I don't do my housework. <laughs> so far down on my importance list, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it also makes me very, you know, willing to go, yep, I need help. And yeah. my mother lives two blocks away and so she comes over, you know, when school term is on, she comes over every morning gets my kids ready for school, does their lunches, walks them to school for me and repeats it in the afternoon. And because she does that, I then have the energy to do the laundry, do dinner, work on my business, care for my family mm. as best I can. Mm, yeah. Well, you just mentioned your mum there. So that gives yes. us a really good opportunity to have another grandma story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another grandma story. She... At, I'm conscious this is what is bringing to mind at the moment because we've just been through Christmas and my children have dragged out their dolls that they've been given over previous Christmases mm. as well as this Christmas and all my old dolls' clothes. All your old dolls' clothes. All my clothes. old dolls' clothes. A very large chunk of which were made by my grandmother. Yes. Um, and so, you know, she she was, you know, she and my grandfather were teachers, school teachers. Mm. Um, she particularly worked with special needs. Right, wow. Um, and so she had this phenomenal attention to detail and curiosity about the world around her. Um, and so she would, yeah, she made doll's clothes for me um, using you know, using up scraps of material that she had around the house mm. um, and, you know, creating these things that, you know, so now my children are wandering around with their dolls wearing these old clothes. So every time I see them, I'm reminded of my grandmother's love. Mm. Um, the fact that she sat down and she used up time out of her busy schedule to give to me. Mm. Um, so have you been able to tell your children about about your grandmother making those clothes? Yes, yes. And the stories of, of mm -hmm. her? Yes. And how do your children react to that? Well... I think, um, especially my eldest, my eldest uh, daughter, her middle name is Doreen, which was my grandmother's first name. Um, and my second daughter's middle name is Mary after my husband's grandmother who's mm. served a similar mm. anchoring role in his family's life as well. Mm. Yeah. 
Mm. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So even though they never met them, they've still got that connection. Yes. And they've still got things that, you know, have been touched by their hand. Yes. Which I think sometimes we can, we can, you know, we can, we can get quite unsentimental about some things and mm. those sorts of things are usually the first thing that would be chucked out because, mm. you know, you're grown up. You don't need them anymore. Let's just get rid of them. Mm. But it is it. There's something very um, palpable about touching something that somebody has made. Yes, sort of, you know, 35, 40 years ago. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I spoke to a um, I spoke to a, glee, a decluttering lady ah. um, uh, a few weeks ago, and she was telling me about how you know she never forces people to to throw things out. Mm. Um, and how, you know, you can honour it and remember it and remember the stories without actually having the thing in your possession anymore. Mm. And one of the things that, of course, is really taking off now with the ability to self-publish books mm. is to take photographs of all those lovely, really sentimental things mm. and make photo books. Mm. So you've still got the thing mm. but without it taking up heaps of space in your in your place. I can think of someone I need to pass that tip on to. <laughs> Because <laughs> we are we're terribly sentimental beings, and I know I've got stuff that I'm like, yeah, I probably should, but I I haven't had the heart to just mm-hmm. you know kick it out yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm um, I'm in the process at the moment of just sort of going through things very very slowly and doing one thing at a time, mm. like you were saying before. It's just that one thing at a time when you can do it. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. So as as always, when I when I finish one of these, I always ask um, whoever I'm talking to, what do you think is the mental health future in Australia? What does that look like? Oh, I think it depends. My answer to that depends on what level of hope, hopefulness you catch me in. <laughs> okay. And where are you now on a scale of 1 to 10? If I ignore the better access scheme and the cuts <laughs> that happened to that, you know, oh, that must be close to a decade ago. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> um, yes, I got all cranky about that those yeah. years ago. Um, I think the conversation is changing. Mm. Um, with the advent of the fires over the last month, mm. um, actually, no, they've been burning for longer than that, but... Mm. The public awareness, the public conversation and discourse around them, the the toing and froing between different government bodies and all the different assertions that are being made. Mm. Um, I think that's really has the potential to really shift the way we deal with mental health in a positive direction. Mm. Because all of a sudden we're suddenly realizing that it's not just an individual thing. Mm. It is a collective thing. It is a systemic thing. It's an ex- existential thing, mm. um, and it's go. It, it's helping us ask, have that conversation about. Okay, so where is our world going? How do we cope with that? Mm. Um, how do we cope with that in ways that actually help and work mm. for ourselves and our communities and the world around us, and not just humans, but the creatures around us and the plants around us and the very soil that we stand on and that grows our food. Mm. How do we care for all of that and for all of them who care for mm. it? Um, and it's really kind of bringing out, again, that, you know, our farmers have been struggling for decades in places. Um, how do we care for them mm. in ways that sustain them in mm. their work and their service? Um, it's not just about chucking bales of hay at them. No, no. no it's <laughs> Again, it's a broader systemic thing. I mean... Mm. 
we can't, if we keep having kind of a Band-Aid approach, then we're going to get short-term options and action steps that aren't actually solutions. We call them solutions. But are they actually solving the problem or are they just kind of a, a excuse me for being a little harsh, knee-jerk response? Mm. Oh, that's not harsh at all. <laughs> um, I think that's actually pretty good. <laughs> Maybe this is where the graciousness is a problem. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have. I, yeah, I would probably would have been a bit harsher than that had yeah. I not been on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a reason why I have a vanity warning at the beginning. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah. So one of the things that's on my on my agenda for myself and my practice over the next twelve months um, is basically taking a almost a triple strand approach. So at the moment, I have my basic practice, general practice focusing on resilience, um, largely for individuals and the work and organizations, mm. as I've previously said. Mm. Um, being a practicing Christian myself, I've been involved in ministry circles for decades. Mm. So I'm particularly aware of the rates of volunteer burnout mm. in mm. the in churches and parachurch organizations and our ministry leaders. I mean the rate of burnout in pastors is about the same as teachers and social workers. Um, councils actually have less rates of burnout comparatively. Mm. Um, do you think that's and, because of the? Do you think that's because of the the rules around um, clinical supervision and things like that requirements? That for... might play into it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also the fact that we spend all day talking about it, so we're a little bit more aware of it in ourselves. Yeah, I was, I was, you, you can't see me rolling my eyes or Christina doing a little finger thing like the miniature violin. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. It's a little tiny. Yeah, I think it's a little bit. Yeah, we are yeah. a little bit more aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and first responders obviously have much worse rates. But I think first responders have actually been, I think over the last sort of like four or five years, certainly they've they, there's a lot more int- a lot more yes. attention is being being paid to. Yeah. First responders and you know military and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's become a much more of a. These are the you know this is this is our target. Mm. We, we we know about them because yeah. it's obvious. Yeah. But then there's these hidden ones like mm. you're saying, like your your pastors and your social workers and your mm. wildlife carers. Yeah. That are actually really really flying under the radar. Yeah. As not being. Yeah. Um, looked after so that's that's one part that's a, a second yep. part of your yeah so yeah engine. so I run also founded the paraclete initiative which is about taking my stress and resilience resources and delivering them in specifically um church parachurch organizations in ways that they can then gri- grip onto and understand and use mm, so wow. they can get on with the Fantastic. business of loving and serving others yeah in ways that make sense for them and yeah my third stream that I'm I'm still figuring out how to launch it this year, but it's around climate, you know, courageous climate adaptation and change and how to have effective, civil, transformative conversations around it. Um, and polite civil conversations mm, around it. That would be, that would be nice. <laughs> Not being called an outright liar in some of the groups that I talk in. Wow. Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a bit sad. But people who don't, people who are, people who are not in the climate change camp can actually be quite cruel. I've, 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 and I know it's because they, 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 they firmly believe their points of view, mm. and people who do believe in it firmly believe their stuff. But there's this, there's this difference of facts versus opinion. Yeah, 
mm-hmm. which I think comes into play, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the this matrix tool that I use. Um, do we have time for me to walk that through? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So imagine, folks, if you've got a pen and paper there, just grab it and draw a horizontal line across the middle of the page and then a vertical line down the centre of the page. So it basically looks like a window. And so basically that's all, That's what this is. It's a window, uh, a way for you to have to take a certain perspective or take a point of view. Um, it's not the definitive point of view, it's just a point of view and you just take from what works for you. And the first time you go around it, you start in the bottom right corner and you just ask the question, who is important to you? And so you just write one word there. And so typically it's family, friends, pets, clients, students, if you're a teacher, whatever. So there's one word that shows up there. And then, of course, you know, then you think about when you're thinking about them and doing, reaching out to them and doing the stuff that matters for them, um, what's the yucky stuff that comes up and gets in the way? And, like, there can there will always be external obstacles like time and resources and distance. Is this in a different quadrant? Sorry, yes. Yep. Um, so you're thinking about there's, there's the stuff that comes up and gets in the way. So there's the external stuff. But right now we're thinking about the internal stuff. Because what that, what these two lines that you've drawn on the page represent, that top to bottom line, that's talking about your experience in the world. So we're talking about, you know, up the top of the page, that's your five senses. It's the stuff that you can see, feel, hear, smell, touch. That's your external experiencing. And down the bottom, it's, we're talking about what you feel inside, what you experience inside inside your own skin that no one else can see. Um, And so the question is who notices, who can notice best what is happening inside yourself? Who can notice best what is important to you and who is important to you? Who is it that notices the yucky stuff that might come up and get in the way when you try and reach out to those people? It's you. You are in the best position to notice that. So I want you to draw, yeah, draw a circle at the point where those two lines cross. And in that circle, I want you to write the word you because it's you who can notice who matters to you and it's you who notices the yucky stuff that might come up and get in the way. So we've been talking lots about the shoulds. The shoulds go in that bottom left corner. So the yucky stuff that can come up and get in the way is the I should, I must, I have to, all of those things that we tell ourselves. Expectations. The expectations. Uh, fear and stress and pain, grief. All just everything that goes on inside your skin. That's the stuff that you can think about in that bottom bottom left corner. And so then we think about, you know, when we're doing this, you know, when we're experiencing this fear, this pain, this stress, the shoulds, what do we then do in response? How we, might we move towards, oh, sorry, how might we go up into that top left corner and think about the things we do to try and lessen the yucky stuff inside? So if you're feeling stressed, what might be something you do to move away from that to lessen the stress? Go to the movies. Go to the movies. <laughs> um, you might 
procrastinate and go on Facebook, I'll put my hand up and say that's one of mine. <laughs> um, you know, if I was to follow you, be a bit stalkerish and follow you around with a video camera, what would I actually see you do to lessen the stress, to lessen the fear? Might catch me, you might catch me getting snappy and irritable with my kids. Mm. Um, you know, when I'm tired, you'll catch me, you know, crashing out on the couch and putting the TV on. Mm. Um, but also, you know, if I'm hungry, I will eat. So we call these things away moves. They're things that we do to move away from the yucky stuff that's going on inside us. They're not necessarily bad, but they are just things we do to lessen the yucky stuff inside. Mm. And then the question is, is this working? Is this, you know, going on Facebook, is that helping me move towards the people who mattered to me, my clients, my business? Mm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Mm. Um, what's something I, then in the top right corner, that's where we write down the things we can do to move towards the people that matter to us, the, towards the ideas that matter to us. And we call these very, very technically towards moves. Um, so when it comes to hanging out with your family, what are some things you could do there? You could send a text to arrange a catch up like at the open air cinema. Mm. Um, you can send them a, you know, send them, a, you know, tag them in a funny meme on Facebook because it made you think of them. Mm. Um, you can, you know, if pets are important to you, then, you know, walking the dog, petting the cat, talking to the bird. Feeding um, the snake. Got to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, and again, who is it who is in the best position to notice who matters to you? The yucky stuff that can come up in the way when you're trying to move towards them. The stuff that you do to move away from the yucky stuff to help yourself feel better. Um, and there's, who is going to be in the best position to notice how you can move towards the people who matter? And who isn't going to be in the best position to judge whether or not this is working? Mm. It's always going to be you. Mm. It's never going to be me. It's going to be you. So I love pointing people towards just that ability to stand in the centre of their own experience. So I get people to imagine, you know, is if we wrote this out on the ground and you actually stood in that centre of that circle, you stood in the centre of your experience and you look at what matters and who matters and you look at the stuff that comes up inside and you look at the way you respond to the yucky stuff and you look at the way the things you could do to move towards the people who matter. You, that, that ability to notice, just notice what your actual experience is, it is profound. That is one of the most profound powers that we have. If we can notice what is going on, then we have the power to change it and change it in a way that works for us as individuals. And then when it comes to dealing with this and as on a community level, on an organisational level, we go through this whole loop again. But then we start talking about not just not just who matters, but what matters. What's our shared purpose here? Mm. And so then, in terms of climate, how uh, and a climate change conversation, it's like okay, so we're including family and friends in here, but you know who are our who are our neighbours that we want to care for? Mm. Who are the ones that are near to us? Who are the ones that are far to us that we want to care for? Mm. And we put them down. 
Mm. And again, there is no right or wrong way of doing this. There is no right or way, wrong way of answering this. It's just, who is it that mm. matters to you? Mm. Let's put them up. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Christina. <laughs> Thank you for your time. This has been Secrets We Share. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.